taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. So let's go to. Uh, let's go to Colossians chapter uh, Colossians chapter three. We're going to start reading from verse twenty three. Colossians chapter three, verse twenty three. Before that, though, let's uh, bow in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. We adore you. Uh, we worship you because you and you alone are God. And so, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will speak a word to us that will be real and that will be relevant. That will uh, help us to leave this uh, leave this. Uh, video this digital service uh better than we were when we came into it it's in jesus name we pray amen all right here we go so colossians chapter 3 verse 23 uh, verse 23 says whatever you do do it from the heart for the lord and not for people verse 24 you know that you will receive an inheritance as a reward you serve the lord Christ. One more time for emphasis. Let's go back to verse 23. It says, whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord and not for people. All right. All right. I want to talk. Um, the, the, the tag of this sermon is simply go hard. Simply go hard. Um, I want to point out something before we even jump into this passage. Um, so So there is some, there are some things that are problematic about this text that I just want to acknowledge just from the outset. Um, what's happening here in this context is Paul is saying several things that identify Paul as a person of his time. I, I don't think there is, I have a, another way to describe it other than that, other than Paul being like a person of his time. And so what is uh, happening? Oh, I figured it out. Uh, what is happening here is Paul is um, talking about like slaves obey your masters. Paul is talking about um, wives submit to your husbands, children obey your parents no matter what. Um, he is what, what it seems like he is doing is he is speaking as a person of his time, uh, leveraging the best information, best knowledge, best cultural knowledge that he has available to him. To effectively say, hey, this is the way that you ought to operate as good people. So I do want to just call out that there is problematic stuff that is happening in this passage. Um, Paul is not troubled. Uh, it doesn't appear from this passage that Paul is at all troubled by uh, a gruesome institution such as slavery. Uh, Paul is not troubled by patriarchy. So I want to call that out and name it. And um, for those of you that were not around, this was maybe a year and a half ago um, where I did a, a um, uh, um, deconstructing the Bible series. We kind of talked about this very concept of needing to take care when we're looking at scripture, um, take care that we're looking at context and we're also looking at culture that people were speaking from and be very careful when we are applying uh, things um, from scripture 
be real like um, uh, careful how we apply those things to our lives or to how other people in present day should live. Um, because oftentimes folks were using the best information that they had. So I do want to just call that out and name that. So that that's what's happening here. But I do wonder if there is something else that is like a bigger theme, a broader theme that come that can come out of what Paul is doing here. And, and I want to I want us to look at um, I want us to look at another verse of another few verses real quick, because I think this will help us to catch the context. So here we go. Uh, so let's look at uh, back up a few verses. Let's go to uh, Colossians uh, chapter uh, three, uh, starting at verse five. It says, uh, so put to death, uh, put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things. But now set aside these things such as anger, rage, malice, slander. Uh, where is he? Where is he? Slander uh, and obscene language. Uh, one more uh, verse, uh, verses uh, nine through 10, actually. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. So I, I want to trouble I want to trouble this for just a little bit. And I want you to consider what Paul may be doing here in this passage. It, it seems that what Paul is doing here, as well as a few verses later, he gets into this talk about like wives submit to your husbands in a way that's appropriate to the Lord and husbands love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And children obey your parents and everything because this pleases the Lord and parents don't provoke your children and slaves obey, obey your masters on earth and everything. Um, in essence, what it seems like Paul is doing potentially is that he is trying to push us to make improvements within our relational practices from a baseline. Like if you were to just step back, take like the hundred foot view of what's happening here in this passage, Paul is trying to push the Christians uh, in the church at Colossae that he's writing to, he's trying to push them and say, hey, y'all need to improve how you engage with each other. You need to be mindful of your relationships with each other and how you show up in these relationships. And so when I step back and I think of what's happening in the text in that way, I am less troubled by the other stuff that's problematic in the text, like slaves obeying masters and wives obeying husbands and, and things like that. I'm pulling back and I'm seeing again, what's the bigger picture thing that he's trying to get at? And I get it. I understand what he's saying there. And so now when I come down to the verse that, that we're looking at for today, um, I'm going to pull that, that, um, that particular passage back up. Um, when we get down to verse 23 and he says, uh, whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord and not for people, because you know that you will receive an inheritance as a reward. You serve the Lord Christ. What effectively I see now that he's talking about when he's talking about whatever you do. And in some passages, it says in all your work, um, um, uh, work heartily for the Lord, that effectively he is saying when you enter into or engage in work. 
in the context of um, an institution that is run by another person, you need to be mindful of the ways that you show up in it. And he is saying here, when you do that work, do it from the heart. And that's what I want to get at today. That is the place that I was trying to drive us to is I want us to think about this in light of Colossians chapter 23, chapter 24. I want us, want us to think about how we show up in our day-to-day -day work. That's what I want us to consider. How are we showing up in our day-to-day -day work? Because if we are indeed going to be Christ-centered in the way that we engage with our work that we do day-to-day, -day, a part of it is seeing the power and potential uh, that comes out of our role in the workplace, right? Our ability to bring peace and justice and love and all these ethics that conform uh, to the ethics of Jesus Christ. Those things are important. But what is also important and perhaps more important is how you show up to do the work in the first place. You can only be, at, you can only be effective as one who is effectively like, an implant for the kingdom of God in your organization, you can only be as effective there as your witness. What I mean by as your witness is um, what do people think about you? What is your reputation? What is the, the institutional capital that you even have within the organization because of the way you show up? So in, in short, this is this is what I'm saying. If you are raggedy in how you show up for work day to day, you will not have the organizational capital to affect any kind of change that will be meaningful for the kingdom of God. And so that is like a, a, a 1A um, approach um, consideration that we need to be taking in the first place. Again, before we can get into the work of change, we need to get into the work of how we're actually showing up. Uh, in our day-to-day -day work. And so I want to push us there in light of this, uh, in light of this um, kind of quiet quitting phenomenon. How many of you are familiar with this phenomenon called uh, quiet quitting? I'm going to see if I can bring some of the comments in here uh, as well. There's a couple different ways that I think we can do it. Uh, Carla says, that's so real. Uh, Shayla says, real talk. Appreciate it. I told y'all I was live. I'm seeing y'all stuff real time. Um, I want to push us in, in that way. How many of you guys are familiar, again, with this concept called quiet quitting? Where essentially what this is, is uh, quiet quitting is a phenomenon where people maintain their jobs. They continue to show up every day or log on every day if they are virtual workers, but they are effectively throttling back their, um, um, their output. Right. They quit. They just haven't left the company and they haven't they haven't left payroll, more importantly. Uh, for those of you that are entrepreneurs or that run businesses like definitely um, I see you, Chanel. Chanel says she's she's familiar with it. Um, those of you that are running businesses are definitely uh, familiar with this concept and perhaps are experiencing it in your organizations right now. And so I want to put this concept of like working hard, whatever you do, like. Uh, working at it with all your heart or doing it from the heart, um, doing it for the Lord, as the passage says, and not for people. Uh, verse 24 says, 
you know that you will receive an inheritance of the Lord You ser uh, as a reward. You serve the Lord Christ. I want to put that in conversation with this concept of quiet quitting. And I want to push us around these two questions today. First question is, can one honor God and other people through one's work and simultaneously throttle down work pro productivity? Let me let me ask that again. Can one honor God and other people through one's work and simultaneously throttle down work productivity? I'd love to hear from you guys uh, on this question. I'm going to actually see if I can add it here. Um, here we go. There's a the question. Can you honor God and other people? through one's work and simultaneously throttle down work pro productivity. Love to hear from you guys um, um, on that. Uh, Vina says, I quit. Unpack that, Vina. Did you just quit your estate job or um, did you quiet quit? I'm not going to put it up here for um, obvious reasons, but clarify for us what, what you mean by, uh, yes, I quit. Um, but guys, jump in the chat. Let, let me know your thoughts here. Uh, can one honor God and other people through one's work and simultaneously throttle down work productivity? Because that's, that's where some people like, like obviously are at this point. And some of us that are on the stream right now are in this space. We're going to show up tomorrow. If you have work tomorrow and, and we're, and we're working from home. And and we are effectively like just going to work halfway. And that is a I, I was reading. I saw like a headline of an article uh, a couple of days ago as well that talked about how much like the American GDP is down because like workers are effectively doing that. Like they're scaling back what they're willing to do. And I, I, I think it's tricky. I think it can be argued, but I think I think it's tricky. I think it's tricky. Let me show some of these uh, some of these comments. Thank you guys for chiming in. Alicia says, yes, because the way workplaces are currently set up, they expect you to do the work of two people. I don't believe the Lord wants us to be overburdened in our work. I believe we should do our best and provide quality work. Uh, but quantity, uh, productivity. Let me see. Can I get the rest of? Um, uh, let me see if I can get the rest of hers. Um Okay, Alicia says, but quantity productivity doesn't equal quality. Gotcha. Okay, thank you, Alicia. Uh, and then Carla, uh, Carla says it may determine your starting point. If you were overworking, I, um, I think there's space. If you're just checking out, that's different. That's a great. That's a great point. Uh, Chanel says that's tricky. Um, Timbra says. Yes, because censoring your needs are more important than productivity for a company that sees you as uh, as indispensable or dispensable uh, or disposable. Even good point. Good point, Timbra. Um, uh, Ch Chanel also says if the job is devaluing your efforts to protect yourself, you may have to scale back. Uh, I think I think this is in this is really interesting, guys. Thank you so much for um, for all your comments. And uh, feel free to, to continue to drop comments here around this question. I'm going to bring the question back up as well for those that may have uh, missed it. Uh, can one honor God 
uh, and other people through one's work and simultaneously throttle down work productivity. So, so I, I feel like two things are happening. We're, we're on the one hand considering the bar that the employer sets, right? And, and I think that the bar that the employer sets has can be mutually exclusive from our personal bar of excellence and working hard, right? So yes, employers can give us the work of two or three people and try to, you know, try to get over by doing that. And I think that that is fundamentally unfair. But then there is, what does me personally working hard, what does that look like? It may come up to here, it may not come up to that place, but I think what, what Paul's getting at here is work up to here, to your personal best, rather than if employer sets it here, not only do I not come to here, but I go down here because you just, uh, you just made me upset because of your unrealistic expectations. And I realize that if there's a change in economy, in the economy, that you will get rid of me. I'm, I'm disposable. Um, I'm dispensable uh, to Timbra's point. So I do want to push us there because I think the quiet quitting phenomenon is less about people just working up to their own personal max and not meeting employer expectations. To be honest, I think it is also workers taking advantage of the situation. We're in a market where we're in a labor market that is very tight. There are more jobs than people who are trained for those jobs right now. And employers just kind of got to take what they can get from, from us. And so people know that they can kind of set the expectations. I can come to the office if I want to come to the office. I can push back if I don't want to come to the office. I can, um, I can work up. I, I can set all these uh, boundaries as it relates to work that may or may not even be a part of what we initially talked about when um, when we uh, first took the job, when I interviewed for the job. I can set new boundaries and expectations. I'm going to give like real talk for a second right now. Um, like I, I was in a, a just a, like an employment situation um, as employer where folks were able to to work from home, but then like all of a sudden, so here's my expectation. Work from home means like, okay, if you are going to like be off at a certain point during the day, right? Like if 5.30 is your time, like you shut it down, I'm all good with that. But if I set a meeting for 11.30, you better be on that meeting at 11.30. Like you can't have anything else that you have to do. And, and so you're not able to make that meeting. Um, and some people have just gotten comfortable like that, like can run their errands during the day, can set appointments during the day, all that kind of stuff. All well and good if that's your understanding with your employer. But you can't have that. If, if you're going to have that, you cannot be mad if your employer ask you for something at 6 30 p.m and the reason is because like you aren't sticking with a nine to five schedule you aren't available nine to five so since you ain't available nine to five i'm gonna need to hit you up for some of that 7 p.m 
if if randomly on a Thursday you are traveling somewhere to go out of town and you still plan to like somewhat be available, but you kind of like out of pocket because um, your phone reception is is going through a bad spot while you're traveling. All well and good. But you best believe if I need to hit you up on Saturday morning about something, you can't be mad about it. And I think that that is this weird place that we've entered into from a um, from a um, employee employer perspective. That's just it's funky. And quite frankly, if we get into a recession in 2023, it's going to be real interesting how people um, how people kind of change their tone about how they show up, because I think. Real talk, there is a generation in the workplace right now that does not remember 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, when like coming by a job as a young professional was just hard. Um, they may not know about the days that, that, that many of you know about, because some of you were coming out of college at this time, where like, people with whole four-year college degrees were like working at Starbucks as a barista. Like that was the best situation they could get at the time. There's a generation that doesn't remember that. And so jobs are not as, the, the concept of somebody agreeing to pay you 60, 70, 80, six-figure plus, 80,000 or six-figure plus salaries in exchange for your labor, there is less of an appreciation for that. And I feel like nowadays there are some people that feel entitled to the paycheck, um, but don't feel like their employer is entitled to their labor. And I think people got to figure out what to do with that. Um, let, let's go to uh, some more of these uh, comments. Thank you, Vina. Vina says she loves live interaction. I'm enjoying it as well. Um, Got another comment. Where does burnout fit within the realm of price-centered work? Like, how do we show up for God in our work within this capitalism-driven society that is bent on our burnout? Uh, I think that's a fantastic question. I I'm going to let uh, some of you guys jump in as well, uh, who may have some uh, some additional thoughts on it. I, I I think again, it's working. It's working to our it's working to our personal max, but to your point about burnout, I think this needs to, we need to think about this. Um, how do I work to my personal max and at the same time engage in self-care? That that actually was my second question, ironically. And so I'm, I'm gonna just go ahead and post it now so that we can segue. Um, you, just, you just gave me the perfect segue, so thank you. Here we go. Let me add this in. Okay. How do we balance creating boundaries to care for ourselves yet show up well and fully in our work? And I'm going to let you guys jump in with some, with some thoughts here uh, to push, um, to push this uh, conversation along. How do we balance creating boundaries to care for ourselves yet show up well and fully in our work? Um, so this this is what I do, and I know everybody can't do it, but the pastor, this is this is burnout stuff, right? Like, um, try to be careful of the examples that I share. Um, 
but it's 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 burnout work. It's burnout work, and you can you in order to be effective at being a pastor, you have to get involved emotionally. Like there is no way I think to do this work and honor it and not get emotionally involved. And so I have to go through the emotional highs and lows with people um, a lot and feel it with them. And, and that, that, that takes a lot. It's, it's exhausting. And so I, I take a sabbatical every year. Again, it's, it's a privilege that I have the kind of job that allows me to do that. Um, but it took many years to even get to this point of being able to take a month um, where I'm able to step away. What I've also figured out is like, what's my rhythm? Like my rhythm is, is roughly, I can preach back to back for about five or six Sundays. And then from there, the quality of my preaching starts to go down because I, I need like to step away for a moment to regain creativity and energy and all of that. And so I, I've had to figure out things like, all right, I need to insert somebody to kind of guest preach so that I have a break so I can come back as my better and best self. Um, and I, and I, I think, I wonder how we translate that into like nine to five work where we, you know, just get two weeks off for vacation, how we manage doing that. And, and I don't know the best practices because it's, it's been a while since I have worked for like an outside organization. So I, I would love to hear from people, uh, from people there. But I, one thing I do think needs to happen is honest conversations with managers, uh, need to happen about like, Hey, I, I need a day. My productivity is just off. I need a day. So this Friday, I'm just putting on my out of office and I'm going to come back Monday 100%. As an employer, if I hear that from you, and this is the way I engage with our staff when we had a, a lot of staff in 2021, advocate for yourself. Like, you know best what you need. If If you need to just like chalk up the week and it's midday Thursday and you know you're not going to be productive, just hit me, tell me I'm, I'm chalking it up and I'll be back Monday full swing. I, I'm okay with that because I, I need you to show up as your best self because I hired you to be your best self. Um, and so if you can have that kind of conversation with your manager, I think that that is very, uh, very positive. Let's uh, let's go to some comments here. We got a, a lot of comments. Um, um, Cody, thank you. Thank you, brother. Cody says you're preaching now. Uh, Nissa says that uh, burnout uh, burnout comes when we don't set boundaries. I absolutely agree. Alicia says quiet quitting is doing the minimum requirements of the job and no more. It's not going above and beyond doing less than that. Then the minimum wouldn't be considered quiet quitting. Quiet quitting is doing the minimum requirements. Okay. Gabby says, I agree when we don't know or set those boundaries, then we allow people to push us out of character and forget about our why and who we represent Christ. Um, as a former teacher, I had to set boundaries with my job so I could focus on being a light to the kids. Yeah, teaching is like inherently a burnout gig. Gabby, I, I'm, I'm with you all day long. I used to be a teacher and, and school administrator. I definitely know. Uh, Cody, I also think burnout can happen when there is uh, set boundaries within the workplace, but based on your personality goals and aspirations, burnout can be self-inflicted. I definitely experienced that, Cody. Um, uh, Carla says, one push for uh, for all of us. Personal best should not 
uh, be parallel with perfection. I think if we equate the two as equal, we will continue to burn out. We must learn, challenge ourselves to decouple to two, to decouple the two. And then um, uh, this is uh, Alicia replying to Carla uh, saying this right here. Um, Nissa says, um, uh, use your PTO. Um, PTO meaning prepare the others. I love it. I love it. Um, Chanel says the boundaries are being perceived as not being a team player, which no one wants. It's a catch 22. It's a catch 22. Um, here, here's my push from an employer perspective or just the insight that I want to share. Sometimes we know what's too much. Sometimes we don't because I don't I don't know your job. So for me, case in point, so we hired a lot of digital, uh, a big digital media team, uh, big for us, uh, digital media team in 2021. I don't know how much you supposed to be able to get done in a week. I'm not a digital media person. I preach. If I were asking, like, if we had an executive pastor and I was asking her or him to write uh, a couple of sermons, I know how long it takes to do that because I do that every week. I know it's, it's probably, it's going to take you a week to put together a solid sermons sermon. So if I'm asking you to like do three, that's too much. But if I haven't done your job, I don't necessarily know how much of it you can get done. The second thing that I think challenges employers, and I love to hear from you managers uh, and directors that are out there. The second thing that happens is when it comes to work, oftentimes it comes down to strategy for getting it done. Like mo most of the folks on here don't work in like a factory where you're producing a set number of widgets per week. Like your, your work engages something else. And so given that, it often involves strategy for getting stuff done. So I, I found myself as an employer at some points frustrated because people were burning themselves out in terms of productivity because they weren't like engaging the best strategies. And so sometimes, you know, we would sit down and we would meet. I'd have them describe to me like kind of what are some of the challenges they're running into in terms of getting the things done. And, you know, within that 20, 30 minute conversation, I was able with them to start thinking through strategies for getting this same thing done, um, but taking less time or getting more done within that allotted time just by taking a different approach to it. Um, and so, so sometimes that kind of situation can tend to come up. And um, I, I think that we just, it, it's tricky as an employer, like, am I giving you too much? Are you engaging with it wrongly? And it, for those of us that have went through college, we had to experience a similar experience. When every professor is giving you like a whole book to read for the, and have it read by the next week and be able to talk about it intelligently, you had to come up with a strategy for how to do that. And so you learn to skim, you learn oh, I shouldn't just start at page one and try to read the whole book. Like I should start out by looking at the table of contents to understand what's this book going to be about. 
maybe half of it I already know. I'm going to skip to the chapters that I need new information from. I'm going to read the introduction because the introduction is going to tell me effectively what this whole book is about. I'm going to read, if I got to read all the chapters, I'm going to read like the first page and the last page of every chapter because that is going to give me the setup of the writer's argument and it is going to give me the conclusion of the writer's argument for that um, particular thing. And so we learn to get through the grid of college not by saying like the professor doing too much, I ain't doing all this work. Our peers who took that attitude, they went home next semester and they never came back. You are in the positions that you're in. We're in the positions we're in because of our grit, because of our willingness to work hard. So again, I, I don't at all want to espouse for us to burn ourselves out, but I do want to just push around um, and this ain't for everybody. This is for some people. Are they being as strategic in how they approach their work? And are they communicating their needs um, to the people that they work for? If all that's done, you've done all of that, work to your personal best, because I think that that's all that God requires for us, not to meet some unrealistic expectations um, of, a, uh, of a boss. But never should we ever decide I'm just going to show up to cash this paycheck because I'm not feeling how they engage with me with work. I think that being people of integrity, being kingdom minded people, being Christ centered people, when we get to that point, that's when we say, you know what? I got to leave this organization and find something different because I need to be able to show up as my best self in all of my work. And I don't ever want to engage in a relationship, no matter what it is, romantic or employer to employee, whatever it is. I don't ever want to show friend to friend. I don't ever want to show up in any relationship where I am disgruntled and I am just phoning it in and um, 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 and just like effectively taking advantage of somebody else's um, pay uh, compensation. So I, those are my thoughts. Um, if anybody else has any thoughts, um, go ahead and add it into the feed. Um, but those are my final thoughts uh, around this um, this subject, this sermon. I hope it was effective. Um, I like this. I uh, really do like this approach. Um, I will leave just for uh, leave it open for just a minute for those that have other comments to go ahead and and throw them in. And then we'll um, we'll shut it down for the day. Shayla says, I challenge my team to do the same and also invite them to co collective sharing, uh, creating space for others to share their best practices. But we also encourage a team mentality where we help where, where we help others to accomplish the end goal. This helps to prevent. Uh, let's see. Uh, this helps to prevent individual burnout. Excellent. Thank you, Shayla. Anybody else have uh, have a comment or we'll leave it open for another minute? Uh, to get some other thoughts um, while, while you guys are thinking or typing, I'm going to share this last um, thought that I have. Um, um, this last thought that I have. So I started uh, working in education in 2013. So I was a classroom teacher. I taught freshmen and I made a conscious decision. So I'm a natural introvert. Right. And I made a conscious decision that I was going to be very outgoing uh, in my work, very outgoing with my peers. 
and uh, and I was going to work really hard. Now, I was pastor in City Point um, full time at the time as well. I made the decision like I I'm going to work really hard at this job and I'm going to like volunteer for uh, extra opportunities to, to, to do stuff. I'm going to go above and beyond. And, and I did just that. And because it was a newer organization, right? Me jumping in that way and me buying into the principal's vision, the CEO's vision and me working hard, like quickly, like grew me into leadership um, opportunities, like right away. The first year wasn't even over yet. And they were already talking about leadership opportunities. Um, my pay, I was calculating it earlier. One, I got promotions like several while I was there, but my pay, the difference between year one and year four was a 60% increase. Again, 60% between year one and year four. In education, the way it typically works is like you already know what you're going to make for like the next five years, unless the union negotiates some crazy contract. Um, it's based on like your number of years of service and the amount of education that you have. You don't jump 60 percent in in effectively three years. Right. Between year one and year four. But that happened to me because of the way I showed up for the work. The other thing that it did, though is it gave me organizational or institutional capital because of how I showed up, because of how I worked. So when I needed to push us on some things, right, to show up differently as educators, to create new courses that would provide a sense of like cultural pride for our students, all kinds of things that I introduced to that school, right? let's create a business and like, let me reap money from the profits. Let's create a business where we hire students and give students jobs. Let me run it. Like when I sat down with my principal and pitched this idea of us opening a school store and let me get some of the profits, like that was not just me, a person who showed up every day, did my job and clocked out sitting down for that meeting. That was Demetrius who, goes hard, who delivers, who does everything that he says he's going to do. That was him saying, hey, trust me to do this thing and it's going to be great. Even though it's out of the box and away from anything that you guys have ever done before, trust me to figure it out and get it done. And I got a yes because of how I showed up. And so as, as we go back to this, I, I share this anecdote because as we go back to the, this concept of like, um, bringing joy to the city, other people benefiting from us prospering in our work. We can only prosper in our work if we're at least showing up well. Now, I'm not saying you got to kill yourself in your work, but show up well for it so that when you do speak up in the meeting, people pay attention because like you work hard. Why I want to hire, why I want to listen to you about needing more diversity, like in this company and like you are diverse, per, a quote unquote diverse person and you don't show up well, show up well so that our words matter. So I'm, I'm going to stop there. Um, good stuff, y'all. Thank you so much for engaging in, uh, in the conversation today.
Uh, a couple of uh, quick announcements. Let me close close this in prayer and then a couple of quick announcements. Lord, thank you for uh, your word today. Thank you for allowing us to um, collectively provide for each other um, insight into how we might engage your word uh, and apply it to our real everyday lives. I, I pray that you will help us in our work. I pray for my, my sibling that is burned out just tired of their job, maybe has already quietly quit. I pray that you will give them new energy or that you will give them new opportunities with other employers, with jobs that will bring them joy, that will reinvigorate them, that will not take advantage of them, um, that that'll provide the things that they need. I pray, God, that you will push us, challenge us on how we show up well for our work. Not, not that we have to burn ourselves out or go beyond, but, but we should at least do, do our personal best. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.